listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. This is one of those rare podcasts where the hosts are in the same room. Right. You ever listen to those podcasts where pe- people are on different Yeah, they're remotely talking to each other. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, and there's there's some really good ones, but you know what? There's some really bad ones. I think the majority of them are really bad. It's true. Uh, ours is, like, you know, mediocre. It's, it's <clears throat> pretty in the middle. Uh, yeah, so we have a lot of questions because we took some time off for the holidays. I hope everybody had great holidays. We did. And so we're going to try to plow through as many of these as possible. We have several calls. I think we're going to use half of them and then save the rest for next episode. Cool. Yeah, if that works for everybody. I hope so. It works for me. Uh, well, let's see. What do we got here? We got questions about intonation. Questions about truss rods, questions about pickups, you know, standard fare. Cool. You know. What else? What's I, on your bench? Uh, what's on my bench? I've been doing a refrets today, working on two refrets. One is a, a 70s Fender Strat. The other is a, I don't know, but like a 1990 G&L. Cool. Doing them both at once. Uh. Aside from that, I've been working on some more some some long term projects. I'm restoring a nineteen fifty Esquire. I'm restoring a fifties Gibson Les Paul Junior. I'm restoring a sixties Fender Jazzmaster. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's kind of all it all came at once, but I'm getting through it all. I'm getting through it. Cool. And they're all here's the thing. I'm taking my time because they're all going to turn out amazing. I am really, really happy with the way everything's been turning out. So there you go. Cool. Should we take some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's take a phone call. Here we go. Ring, ring. Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is uh, Sean from Allentown. Uh, it's been a while since I've called in. Uh, hope that you and your family had a uh, wonderful Christmas time and a very happy new year. And uh, 
look forward to hearing more stuff from you in 2019. Uh, so I'm calling not necessarily with the question, but more a uh, topic for discussion on the podcast. Um, I'm kind of curious about your opinion of so-called parts casters and every form that they take, um, whether it's just swapping the necks on a fender or, you know, buying finished bodies or unfinished bodies and necks or whatever the deal is. I'm sure as a guitar tech, Eric, that you have gotten parts delivered to you and requested to put them together and set them up and everything. And I just, I'm just curious on your take on the whole experience, the whole industry, the whole practice of building uh, parts, building building guitars from existing parts, whether uh, raw materials, you know, unfinished or already existing parts that are completed and everything. So that's all. Um, I hope I have a few more questions for you this year, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this. So uh, thanks again for everything you do. Love the podcast, as always, and thanks. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Uh, yeah, parts casters. You know, I kind of feel like that's what all Stratocasters and Telecasters are, is parts casters. Um, because they're so modular, uh, and it really is arbitrary. You know, if you go, like if you walk into Guitar Center today and buy a Fender Stratocaster, um, it's just totally arbitrary that that neck go- came with that body. Right. It could have come some other way. It's not like they're building a specific neck for a specific body, which gets specific pickups. Uh, that's how Fender builds them. They're parts casters, man. And that was kind of the whole point, you know, right. um, in the 50s. And it was a revolutionary idea because before that, guitars really were built one at a time. Here's a, you know, like a if you look at a Gibson guitar, they're all glued together. You can't just swap a neck out. The point be- behind fenders, that, that was the whole design, was make them easy to work on, make them modular, make it easy to swap out parts. So it's just a natural progression, I think. Uh, plus the fact that Fender really didn't really didn't bother to enforce their copyrights for so long that um, there's just a glut of available all kinds of parts made by all kinds of companies, and so you can assemble your own you know parts casters. And I think it's fine. I think it's great. I think that it's a totally um, yeah t- a, com- a completely natural progression of. Uh, the idea behind Fender guitars and how they were supposed to be this way, you know, easy to take apart, easy to put together, easy to, easy to modify, easy to work on. So there are, you know, just like any, anything, there are good quality parts and there's bad quality parts. So you can certainly make a real crummy parts caster and the devil's always in the details, you know, it's easy to make it's easy to take quality parts and make a guitar that doesn't play very well. So uh, there's always s- some skill involved. And I do have, I have had many, many customers bring me basically like a laundry basket full of, you know, here I bought this neck and this body and here's right. some, the pickups and I bought this whatever kit from whatever guy on eBay that is supposed to be the best sounding, you know, capacitors and, well, you know, and that's great. That's fine. I have no problem putting together a guitar like that. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's how I feel about my personal guitars that are Fender-style. They're they're parts casters. Right, yeah. 
And really, when you get down to it, the guitars that I make, I guess you could call parts casters. I mean, I call fenders parts casters. That's certainly, yeah. you know, I, I don't make my own bridges. Right. I don't make my own tuners. Why not? <laughs> well, <clears throat> anyhow, thanks for the call. Appreciate that, my man. Next, ring, ring. Hi, Eric. Hi, Melissa. Uh, happy New Year. This is Marcus from Bainbridge Island. I'm looking at a 1959 Gibson ES330T. Just got it. It is super sweet, very clean. Um, have a few questions for you about it. One, seems to have the original nut on it. So I think it's the nylon nut. And, um, you know, I know you're into keeping things as is, but I, I assume that would be something that you would be okay with putting a bone note on. So I'm trying to, like, kind of get a sense of how to go about kind of setting this up for me. Um, so I think the bone nut would be one thing. Um, the other thing I'm curious about is it's got a really screaming P90 pickup, but it's pretty dark sounding. And so since it's only one pickup, I'm curious about what kind of pots are in the guitar. Um I know that, you know, there's a lot of talk about single coil, humbucker, 250K, 500K. What, seeming that it's the original uh, pots in there, what would be the pots that are in this? And maybe it's sacrilegious to tamper with pots that would be original to a 59 Gibson, probably. But what would you do, if anything, to set it up for maximum versatility? Um, I'm playing through a lot of tweed kind of amps getting pretty dark, but it, it is a raucous, totally cool sound. Um, just kind of getting your uh, idea on the guts of this guitar. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Those are cool guitars. The 330, it looks like a 335, but it's, it's hollow inside and it has, his, it sounds like his has one P90. Cool. Yeah. 330T meaning thin. T is mm. for thin. Ooh. As opposed to those big, thick guitars. The fat which, ones. Which also starts with T. <laughs> so how do we know? Uh, man, I would not uh, replace the nut on that unless there's a problem with it. Did he say there was a problem with it? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it he just, just had said the it was original nylon. Nut. Yeah. yeah, and and bone is, is a nice upgrade. But when we're talking about vintage guitars, uh, I would want to keep that guitar as original as possible. Yeah. I prefer bone nuts, but um, my preference for all original guitars trumps that. Hmm. Yeah. That's why, you know, like on a vintage Dan Electro, I'll leave the aluminum nut. I want it to be original. I don't want to put some weird bone nut thing on there. Yeah. But that's a special case because those are really unique. On a Gibson, a bone nut wouldn't look out of place by any stretch of the imagination, but... If that guitar is all original, I wouldn't change the pots. I wouldn't change the nut. I would just set it up the best that it can be set up and just rock out on it. Just count it off. Play it. You know, it, I guarantee you that has 500K pots in there, and that's what it should have with a single P90. That's fine. That's great. Um, but that's a special guitar. You know, that's cool to have a, an original 50s Gibson. So th that's my opinion. I would leave it how it is. Cool. Yeah. What do you think? Should we take some questions? Uh, yes, let's take some emails. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hey, Eric. Hey, Melissa. 
<clears throat> Long-time listener, first-time writer. I'm a repair person slash touring guitar tech, and I wanted to ask you a question about intonation. Every day on the road, I restring guitar after guitar, and I intonate every time I change strings, usually twice, sometimes more. Basically, every time I stretch the strings throughout the day, I will check intonation right up until the set starts. I intonate and tune by trying to match the guitarist's style the best I can. My question is this, how do you intonate? Open string, harmonic, 5th fret versus 17th fret? More often than not, nothing sounds funny, but very rarely there will be some wonkiness. I guess my main question is how do you deal with intonating a guitar for someone else's playing style? Thanks. Love the show. Nick. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Uh, yeah, very traditional style on intonation. I compare the um, 12th fret harmonic with the fretted 12th note on each string. That's what I do. And then, if the guitar is still giving me trouble, I will check the tuning on each open string and compare it to the tuning uh, when you fret the first note. So, like, on the on the low string, I'll tune the E perfectly, and then I will switch my con strobe tuner over to F and play the first fret and, and see how see how, how that's working. Because oftentimes, you've got intonation problems down uh, at the other end of the guitar, <laughs> too. So it just depends on how, uh, how, the guitar, <clears throat> how the guitar's performing. But as far as how uh, to match it to somebody's playing style, it depends on the guitar, too. Like a bigger fret, some people have more tendency to push down hard, and that will give them a tendency to play sharp. So... Um, it depends on the player's style. If you really, if you're touring with a guitarist and you you really get to know kind of their style and how they play, you should be able to match the intonation to that. But as far as matching this playing style of a stranger, that can be tough. That can be very difficult. Um, the best thing to do is dial it in to where it looks great on the strobe tuner. That's really the key. And then take it from there. If somebody's complaining after that, if they're complaining that it's sharp or something, then you can address whatever whatever other issues are going on. But um, that's that's how I approach it. I'm 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 going to match it to my strobe tuner before I try to match it to somebody's uh, somebody's bad habits. Cool. Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> Eric, I understand you are a tele-style purist and enjoy that beautiful, simple, yet great tone. With this in mind, I think you have been under the hood of hundreds of guitars. And my question, I would love to hear more on its, on its, on modif modifications. Uh, I'd like to hear your explanation in guitar scientist terms and opinions on some of these topics. Four-way tele-switch. Five-way with two humbuckers, the oddities on the Ibanez Cortex switch and some alternate wiring on a standard five-way, treble bleed pot, switchable tone caps, blender pot, blender single slash humbucker potentiometer slash blend a tap, blend a tap. Let us know your thoughts. You probably have done many of these mods. Many folks never toy with such things. Uh, your opinions are always appreciated, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah, I've certainly done a lot of mods, and I've seen a lot of these mods as well. So, 
Yeah. Uh, okay, let's take them one by one. Four-way tele switch. So a four-way tele switch is just a three-way with one more added sound, and it is the humbucker sound. So you've got both pickups on, wired in series instead of parallel. Uh, it's a great mod for somebody looking for a humbucker sound but doesn't want to route out their guitar and put in a humbucker. It just depends on what you like. just depends on what you want. Um, I personally don't use that on my own guitars because I'm never really, I've never really been a humbucker guy, but uh, it's kind of like having a little turbo setting on your, on your telly to have that extra setting there where it's like a humbucker. Right. There you go. Five-way switch with two humbuckers, the oddities on the Ibanez Cortex switch. Yeah, those are, those are crazy. And um, it's nice. You know, they'll have, so they'll have a, like an Ibanez guitar with two humbuckers. So they'll have a five-way switch so you can get different coils with other different coils, uh-huh. five different settings. Um, I don't know. It's never been my thing. I always have to look at a schematic when I'm working on one of those because it is an oddity. Mm-hmm. And it's also not really in my wheelhouse. It's not what I'm like. I mean, in my spare time, I'm reading books about the guitars that I like. Right. And you won't find a book about Ibanez on my shelf. Ouch. If I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I do know how to work on them and I've certainly done it many, many times. Uh, but yeah, I always have to look at a schematic. Treble bleed pot. I think you mean the, uh, treble bleed modification that you do on the volume pot. That's where as you roll the volume down, it preserves the treble because as you roll down the volume, the high frequencies tend to be shunted to ground first, so the treble bleed pot preserves those high frequencies as you roll the volume pot down. I'm not crazy about that mod because it changes the way your volume tapers, and I'm used to the way a normal audio pot tapers, um, so it, I'm not crazy about it. I mean, all, a lot of this stuff is just personal preference. I know plenty of players who love the treble uh, uh modification on the volume pot cool yeah uh switchable tone caps it's an interesting thing um that's an interesting thing because most guitar players in my experience most guitar players never even touch their tone knob it's on 10 all the time so to have switchable tone caps it's a rare guitar player who's gonna even want that or understand it or want to use it or ask for it. Um, usually, you know, if you've got a guy picky enough, he'll have his favorite tone cap, and he'll say, I, I need a .022 in there, or in my case, my favorite's a .015. But I have no need to switch, because I have my favorite, I have no need to switch to a different one. Because all it does, so a, a, tone, a tone pot and a, a tone circuit, all it's doing is taking high frequencies and shunting them off to ground so you've got a bassy sound now. And the only way the only difference in a bigger pot versus a sm- or a bigger capacitor versus a smaller capacitor is it's just moving more frequencies to ground. So, if you have a huge tone capacitor in there like a 0.05 or a 0.1, then you can just roll it off a tiny little bit and get about the same effect as uh as a smaller cap. 
interesting. So it it would be unusual for a player to really to really really want that, but that can be done. You know, sometimes I'll mess with stuff like that sometimes when I'm doing an Esquire because there's only so many ways to wire one pickup. Right. So you could, you know, because they have a three-way switch, but only one pickup. So you you got to do something. Yeah. Blender Pot. <clears throat> That's a Stratocaster mod where you, where the third knob uh, makes it so you can use all three pickups at once or use the outer pickups on at the same time. And that's great if if you want that. I think I've I've got a similar mod on my strat that uh, that I like. Again, it's just I mean, there's no right or wrong on any of these. It's just personal preference, and if you want it or not. His last one is Blender Single Humbucker Potentiometer Blend a Tap. Sorry, but I don't follow you. Blender Single Humbucker Potentiometer Blend Tap. I don't know. Why don't you write in and tell me about it? <clears throat> I don't know what that is. I don't, I'm not sure what he's talking about. Thanks, Kelly. Eric, what to do? I have not. I have a not yet stripped hex knot on a truss rod that will not move. <clears throat> I don't want to force or strip the hex threads. It's a 20-year-old import guitar, new to my bench, and I have never adjusted this truss rod. Have you run across any glued into place at production that renders the adjustment frozen? I wanted to run it by you before I proceed. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, here's what I would do. Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, it depends on where the threads are. Some truss rods... Uh, what you're dealing with on the adjustment end is all welded together, and sometimes it's that's where the threads are. So, uh, but if if it's got if it's got threads uh, on the other side of the adjustment nut, shine a light in there. Sometimes those adjustment nuts have a little hollow in the middle, and uh, I you can put just a drop of oil in there, and it'll flow through to the threads. And then I I would take a tr- uh, soldering iron and heat up the adjustment nut get it nice and hot that helps to to free up the threads Mm -hmm. then the other thing i would do would be to clamp the guitar down to free up both of your hands so so that you're not wrestling the guitar like in a headlock clamp the guitar to your bench that way when you're trying to adjust the truss rod you've got both hands and you've got all the control in the world and then take it slowly um yeah you don't want to force things and you don't want to snap anything and you don't want to strip anything so you want to use an absolutely crisp, fresh hex wrench. You know, those get rounded off over time. So, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, Stuart McDonald sells great ones that kind of have a taper at the end. And so they really grip hex nuts that are kind of stripped out a little bit. Cool. But, yeah, heat it up. Give it a little bit of oil if you can and strap it down to your uh, bench. Those are my Those are my suggestions. Good luck. Hey, Eric and Melissa, long-time listener, first-time caller or emailer or whatever. <laughs> I have a question about a Yamak- Yamakai? Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> Yamakai. Yamakai 12-string I was given. The previous owner was told it was unrepairable. Oh, dear. The top has cracked along the base side of the fingerboard <laughs> extension, and it looks like the neck block has shifted as the top binding has a little jog in it at the neck joint on the same side. Yay. Since I'm into it for $0 right now, I'd like to take a crack at it. If nothing else, it's a learning experience. (laughs) 
I understand these have a dowelled neck joint, according to a handful of Google results. Other than that, I can't find much information. Am I best just to saw the neck off with a thin, flush-cut saw after loosening the fingerboard? Or is there a way I can locate the dowel so I know where to apply heat or and or steam, if that will even do anything for me on this instrument? Sorry for the long-winded email. I appreciate the work you put into the podcast. I always look forward to new episodes to make my morning commute a little less dull. And I'm going to butcher your name. I'm sorry. That's from Tefan Obkinski. I would say Obchansky. Obchansky. Sorry, I butchered your name. Tefan, thank you for the question. Uh, I don't really have very good news for you on this 12-string. I'm so sorry. Uh, that's about where I'm at with it. It's, it sounds to me like you've got a guitar that's so far gone. If you want to experiment with it, good luck. If you were a customer bringing it to me to potentially reset the neck and, and fix the, the crack along the, uh, along the fingerboard extension, that's a guitar that I would say no thanks to. I don't do import neck resets because I, you you never know what's in there. It's usually not a dovetail. And getting those doweled on necks, getting those off, is really... It, it, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? That's where I'm at with it. Uh, I mean, financially, you know? I mean, I, if I were to give you a quote on repairing this guitar, you could just go find one that doesn't have problems for the, for the money that you're going to pay somebody like me to fix to fix it. Uh, but he wants to experiment on it. And that's great. And that's great. But, uh, <coughs> you know, there's there's some things I've never attempted, and and I'm just telling you why. That's why I've never attempted this, because on my bench, where I'm, where I'm making a living repairing guitars, uh, that is a repair that doesn't make sense. And so I've never even tried. Never even tried an import neck reset so like a, a yamaha or a you know tama or a, a what have you got here a yamakai yamaki uh never tried it so i guess i'm the wrong guy to ask but if you do it let me know how it goes i'd love to hear about it cool yeah sorry i don't have i just don't have a uh, a wealth of recommendations on that one it's just not something that i uh that I would endeavor. Good day, mate. Thank you for the free sharing of your knowledge. Oh, yeah. You've helped and entertained me a lot since you've been podcasting, and I'm back for more. Good. I recently bought a cheap and surprisingly cheerful SG copy as a mod platform, Hmm. put some new pickups in it, gave it a setup, and voila, Mm -hmm. shaping up well. Uh, But the frets, small and uneven and rough, they've got to go. No worries, I've done lots of refrets, but never on a guitar with a bound neck. It's got no nibs, so I'm thinking I'll just rebate the tangs. Have you a trick or treat for the doing of this? Regards, Brett. Mm, Yeah, thanks, Brett. Talked about this on the show before. Yeah, the tangs need to fit just inside the binding, but the fret surface, the playing surface, will overhang the binding just a little bit. Yeah, it's not too tricky it's it's like doing a pocket fret it's like any you know anytime the tang doesn't go all the way to the end uh they sell a little tool that nips the tang off cuts it 
two different places, you know. Mm -hmm. But you're still left with <clears throat> just the slightest bit of uh, surface on the underneath of the fret that you have to file off. So I don't use the special little fancy tool that they sell. I just use my fret cutters and I make two cuts, you know, I measure where the cuts need to be and it'll be different for each fret because the neck widens as you go towards the body. But yeah, <clears throat> you'll just cut the uh, tang off of the end of each fret and then file the underside of the fret smooth so that it sits nice on top of the binding and then uh, then install them like just about like any other refret. You have to be careful. You don't want to you don't want to cut it too tight because once you get it in there and the fret starts to flatten out or, you know, uh, sit down in the groove, you don't want the tangs to push out on the binding because then you can end up with cracked binding or split binding. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure you make your cuts right. But yeah. Yeah, go for it. Cool. Uh, thanks, Brett. I recently picked up a Squire Vista Venus. In case your listeners are unfamiliar with this guitar, in the late 90s, Fender decided to issue a signature model for Courtney Love. Evidently... Why don't you tell the folks at home who Courtney Love is? <laughs> Evidently, Love and Fender decide... Do you really want me to? Uh, is she a tennis star? Tennis player? Do you really not know who Courtney Love is? I think she was, uh, she was dating... Uh, uh, Kurt Cobain. Oh, that guy. Yeah. That, well... Uh, yeah, they had a baby together. That is, is, is a whole thing. Mm -hmm. She was in uh, garbage, right? Well, I wouldn't call it. <laughs> just, you don't want to call it that bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure her band wasn't that bad. But I think that's right, isn't it? Do you know? I I think that she was in a band called Hole. Hole, hole. Well, Hole and Garbage. Jeez. Yeah. Sorry. I get. I get. I get my. I'm sorry. Bad I started band's making name jokes. confused. Uh, can I continue to read the please, question yes, now? please do. Thanks. Evidently, Love and Fender decided to steal the body shape from a small Atlanta-based guitar company called Mercury Guitars that had given Love and Kurt Cobain guitars in hopes of getting some visibility for their innovative guitar design. These guitars were issued as higher-end Squire models built in Japan. Anyway, I'm not a Courtney Love or Squire fan, but it was inexpensive, looks great in surf green, and plays really well, so I bought it with plans to install some better pickups. However, these Venus guitars have no tone control knob, only a volume control. So my question is, is there any advantage to not having tone control, or should I install a tone control knob when I swap out the pickups? Thanks, Blake from South Windsor, Connecticut. Thank you, Blake. A there's a few considerations. One would be, uh, is there room for one? I don't know what the route looks like under there. Um, I'm, my guess is <clears throat> that there is a route for a tone control, but they just didn't put one in. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe there's really only one little tiny route big enough for one pot. Uh, if that's the case, then you'd have to route out a space for a, for a tone control to go, and do you really want to go that far? Do you use the tone control? Most guitar players don't. Um, if you if you uh, if you want to install one and it's already routed out, I'd say go for it. It's it's a nice thing to have. I use mine. But um, he says, is there any advantage to not having a tone control? Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, some people really think that the guitar sounds uh, 
better without a tone control because even with the knob all the way up, that that circuit is still in the signal path. There's a resistor and a capacitor. You know, the, the pot is a resistor. It's a variable resistor. And even with the knob all the way up, that resistor and that cap are still in the circuit path, just stealing just a tiny, tiny little bit of electrons away from your signal. So if you were to go in there and clip the wire and and remove the an existing tone pot from your guitar's circuit, you would notice a very, very minuscule boost in volume and tone. But it's so tiny that it's really not worth worrying about, right? I mean, your amp has a volume control and a tone con- and, a, and tone knobs, right? So if we're talking about like a, a 3% volume gain, uh, it's really not that big of a deal. I say if you want a tone control, just install one. Cool. Absolutely. Thanks, Blake. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I'm Randy, an L.A. Star Trek online, and I'm thrilled you're finally posting on Instagram. The videos are great, and I hope oh, yeah. you, you keep that up. Thank you. After listening to the podcast since the very beginning, I'm excited to finally have a question for you. I just got a new cheap guitar, an Ibanez acoustic, and the fret ends weren't finished well and are sharp and scratching up my hand. Is this something I can tackle myself, or does it need to get to a professional? And if so, how much money should I be prepared to spend on that job? Thanks, and I'll take my answer off the air, <laughs> Randy. Thanks, Randy. Uh, you know, that is something you that you can tackle yourself if you consider yourself handy with, with tools and files and sandpaper. You know, you have to you have to gauge your own level of uh, of willingness to expert you know experiment on your guitar here. But yeah, <clears throat> the way to do this is, um, you know, you can run a, a piece of masking tape just under your frets along the side of the neck, and you'll you can take a file. Um, I have a tool chest full of them. I don't know what you have available to you, so. You might not really have the right tools to do this, but you can also use uh, like an emery board or a... I, I use these big long sanding sticks that I get from like a beauty supply place. What are those called? Nail files? I guess they're nail files, but they're really pro. They're like a different grit on each side and they're yeah. and they're, they're water. Uh, they're for wet sanding. And too. that'll uh, that'll go through the metal? That'll take it off? or Yeah, it depends on how bad... How, how sharp they are oh, okay. if they're if they're really sharp if if it's like cheese grater bad then you're going to need to start with a file right if it's just the tiniest amount then then sandpaper and uh you know stuff like that can help so yeah um this is something that is so visual it's hard for me to describe to you how to do this but you'll basically want to take a a, a long straight file and run it along the side of your frets and take off that excess material. Um, All the way along the side of the neck, right? Along the side of the neck, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you what my, my uh, procedure is, I file, and then I sand with a few different progressive grits of sandpaper, and then I polish so that you've got a nice, shiny fret end. 
And sometimes you have to go back and even do kind of the corners of the fret. Mm -hmm. Because, as you know, if you're taking a metal file to a metal surface, you're actually kind of sharpening things. Right. Even though you're bringing it flush in with the neck, you've really sharpened the corners. Mm -hmm. So what I do, I have a, a half round file that just fits over the crown of the fret and I will uh, do the corners of the fret ends that way mm-hmm. or with a uh, with a long file very fine file uh, do one corner at a time it just depends on the guitar and how the fret ends look and how I want them to look when I'm done and sometimes it depends on the customer too some customers really 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 want super creamed over fret ends with like no edge to it at all it just depends on the customer that's interesting doesn't that make it hard to fret down there wouldn't wouldn't no because we're talking about just the very end of the fret it's not really the playing surface it's just the transition from fret to no fret yeah but it just seems like if you're playing that high string it'll just slip off the guitar that is a consideration that's why i like kind of crisp fret ends because i want I want as much playing surface as possible all the way to the edge, but right. it just depends on your just depends on how comfortable you are doing this kind of thing here, Randy. Yeah. And Randy asks, uh, if he does have to take it to a professional, how much should he pre- be prepared to spend? Um that is something that I usually do free with a setup. So a setup I charge sixty bucks and I would do the fret ends for you for free. If you only want me to do the fret ends uh, thirty bucks is my minimum bench fee. Cool. Yeah. All right, Randy. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Should we take a break? Let's do it. We'll be right back. Hi, Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over twenty-two years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at ecguitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. 
If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust, or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody. You can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So... I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, So thank you for listening and now back to the show. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I've made about a dozen or so of my own pickups, and I've been really pleased with the results. I'm thinking of getting into rewinding pickups, and I wanted to ask you how rewinds differ from fresh builds. What do I need to know about pickup rewinding that building pickups hasn't taught me? What are some things to watch out for and some things that I need to know about getting it right? Can you help me shorten the learning curve? Thanks, James. Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of things really to be mindful of um, when you're rewinding pickups versus just doing a fresh build. When you do a fresh build, you're in charge of what's going on with the pickup. When you're rewinding a pickup, you are kind of stuck with the parameters uh, of the original pickup in the sense of magnetic polarity, winding direction, you know, and these are things that you have to pay attention to. Um, sometimes when you take a pickup apart, it'll have a bar magnet in there that if you don't put it back the right way, then it's going to be uh, out of phase with its partner pickup. So you have to make sure you you really pay attention to how you take a pickup apart. Make sure you get it back together the right way, the same way that it came. You have to make you have to take special note of the winding direction of the coil because that'll affect how it sounds with the other pickup. So whether it was wound clockwise or counterclockwise, there's also a lot of different kinds of wire and different sizes of wire. Uh, 42 gauge, 43 gauge, 44, 45. Those are some of the most common ones. 42 and 43 being the most common. And that's AWG, American wire gauge. There's also different um, uh, coatings on that wire. There's, there's, there's form far wire. There's, enamel coated wire there's different kinds of wire that if you're winding if you're rewinding a vintage pickup it's really best to match what kind of wire it should have on there i wouldn't want to put a polysol wire on a vintage fender pickup or uh you know the wrong kind of 
uh, the wrong kind of coating or the wrong kind of wire. So yeah, a lot of things to consider there. A lot of things to consider. Um, you also need to match the output, the original output, which can be hard to know because I, assuming when you're rewinding a pickup, you can't measure the original output because the thing is dead, you know? Um, there are ways to do it by <clears throat> weighing the pickup and then mat trying to match the weight when you start adding more wire. Uh, probably a better solution is to match the output of the of its sister pickups. You know, if you're rewinding, a say, a Stratocaster, there's two other pickups there that you can take measurements on. And if they're both about 6,000 ohms, then you want a pickup that's about 6,000 ohms, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on whether or not it's a neck or a bridge pickup. So yeah, a lot of things to, a lot of things to think about. Absolutely. If you want to get into that, I would recommend buying Jason Lawler's book. Uh, that's, I think it's called something really basic, like manufacturing and rewinding pickups by Jason Lawler. If you go to Lawler's website, they, last time I checked, they do sell it on that website. But I think you have to click a box that says, by buying this book, you agree to never ask me questions about it. Oh. <laughs> he said all there is to say there. I think he was sick of fielding calls from guys who are getting into it saying, hey, I was wondering if I could pick your brain about, you know, he's got a business to run and he doesn't want to mess with uh, all the world's amateur pickup winders. So, but that's a good book to have. There you go. Thanks, James. <clears throat> Hi, guys. Thanks for the great podcast. I do a lot of driving for my job, and your show helps me to pass the time while I'm on the road. I have a couple of questions for Eric and a comment for Mel. Cool. First, I'm helping a family friend by restoring an old Harmony solid body guitar for their young son, who has an interest in learning to play. It was his grandfather's from his hippie days, and it probably hasn't been played in 40 years. It was missing the nut and only had one of the plastic tuning machine bushings still there. I replaced a missing section of binding on the neck, made a new nut, and installed a set of bushings that I had lying around, which involves filing out the tuner holes on the headstock ever so slightly. I strung it up with some extra light strings as I could only get the action so good without too much bowing. It plays and sounds pretty good apart from the static in the pots. The biggest problem now is the tuning pegs are very difficult to turn due to the tension of the strings. Is there a way to fix this so they turn easily for a young student? What might be the cause? The bushings I put in seem to be a good fit, but maybe not. Hmm. Let me take these one at a time. Okay. Uh, I I would put a very very light oil on the gears, on you know on the on the back of the tuners there. Mm -hmm. uh, put just one drop of like sewing machine oil right where the right where the two gears come together. There's a worm gear and a round gear, and. Uh, Oftentimes that'll, I mean, that really will work magic, you know, uh, on some really stubborn tuners. Sometimes you've got to put just a, t I mean, and you really want to be conservative with the oil because what you don't want is for the oil to run down into the wood, right? Mm. And get under the finish and cause all kinds of finish problems and, and wood damage, but just a tiny little bit of oil. Uh, and on really stubborn tuners, sometimes you have to oil just about every place where metal contacts metal, you know, like the little housing that the shaft runs through there, there'll be little tabs holding, holding everything together there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to oil all of that stuff. 
uh, if the bushings you put in are really tight around the tuner shaft, that could be a problem. That could be a problem. So, um, yeah, a little bit of oil is really the way to go there. Hope, hope that helps. What's your next question here? Second question. I am building an electric mandolin, and I would like to have the ability to switch or blend between a, magne- a magnetic pickup and perhaps a piezo. My goal is to either have the P90-style pickup sound or to switch to a more traditional acoustic sound when needed. I'd rather not have two output jacks. I have not yet decided if I will use an acoustic-style mandolin bridge, some of which have pickups built in, and tailpiece, or will I, or whether I will use a hardtail bridge. Can you think of any electronic solutions that will give me the decent uh, acoustic sound that I'm looking for? The body will be chambered, solid-slash-semi-hollow body with F-holes. Yeah. I would use K&K transducer pickups and uh you could just wire every i assume you want to switch so you can switch back and forth and you can just wire everything to a switch there so you could have just the p90 or just the k and k pickup or both um yeah super simple really simple those k and k uh transducer pickups are modifiable you know they they come like hardwired to a jack, but just clip them off at the jack, and you can um, strip off the insulation there, just like any other pickup, and wire it up to a switch or a pot or whatever you want. They they actually work really well. I've wired them up to volume controls and switches and all kinds of things. But yeah, K and K, and that's really I like those pickups a lot too because there's no battery, there's no extra baloney. It's really just a very simple thing. You you glue those transducers onto the underside of the top, and uh, they're good to go. Cool. Yeah. Mel, I saw your braided leather strap project on Instagram, <clears throat> and it reminded me of my favorite mandolin strap. I don't know where mine was made, but it is perfect and light and comfortable. Perhaps I will commission one from you down the road for my electric mandolin build. Hmm. I really appreciate your feedback. Thanks and all the best, Andrew from Massachusetts. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. I'd love to make you a strap. Just let me know. What's your in- Instagram? At Melco Leather, M-E-L-C-O Leather. Well, I'll have to look at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric and Melissa, I hope your holiday season went well and your boys had a good Christmas. Oh, they did. They're so spoiled. Oh. I loved the video of you guys on the big wheels or whatever those things were. Looks like a lot of fun. They're these crazy little wiggle cars. Where, you, I wonder where he saw that. Must probably have been on, on your Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. yeah. Uh, you wiggle the handles and they drive, you know. It's pretty fun. Uh, Eric, I have a question about the Gibson Veritone. I own a Gibson ES335 and it does not have the Veritone. I guess that was on the ES345 and the ES355. Sometimes I wish I could get more of a single coil type sound out of my ES-335. It has classic 57s. Would a veritone do that? Can you explain what the veritone does and the sounds it produces? Is it in any way similar to your five-way T-style switching in a pinup T-style? He has one more, but it's for me, so why don't you take that? What does a veritone do? It's kind of like a notch filter is what it is, if you know what that is. And it, it's just a, it's a switch, uh, hardwired to, I don't know, five or six different capacitors. I, I can't remember. Um, I think it's six. 
Yeah. Different capacitors, and it's hardwired to the switch. Uh, it'll have one position that's bypass, and then five different capacitors that basically is like uh, removes certain frequency ranges from your tone. So it cre- it's like a different EQ setting for each tone, but they're they're very odd sounding, some of them, and very scooped out mids and almost out of phase sounding. So does it do single coil sound? Not really. Uh, if you want a single coil sound, the best way to do that is going to be to tap those pickups. I don't know if, I honestly don't remember if... Uh, if classic 57s have two conductor wire or four conductor wire, but I'm pretty sure it's just two conductor. It might be of it might be available in four conductor form, but you'd have to have the four conductor wire to tap those pickups. Uh, anyhow, yeah, the, the veritone is cool, but um, it's a very odd and specific sound. That it's a rare player that really loves that that veritone. You know, most most guys that have a 335. With a veritone, or I guess it's a 345 and 355. Uh, most guys that have those don't, really don't hardly ever use the veritone. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, he has another question. It says, <clears throat> Melissa, I have a strap question. I usually buy $15 Dunlop straps. I do not like strap locks, and I prefer new leather ends on my straps. As long as the fit is tight on the strap buttons, you don't need strap locks, but they seem to age fairly quickly and get wallowed or worn out and loose. I put them on and take them off frequently, and I have a bunch of straps I like, but they all have loose ends. Is that cheap leather? Would a Melco strap keep its shape longer? What would you suggest? Thanks for the great show, Zach in Seattle. Um, yeah, so... I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's cheap leather. It's possible it's cheap leather, but really the problem is... It's thin leather, you know, and if you have a piece of paper that you fold and open and fold and open and fold and open, it's going to tear and stretch and get weird eventually. But if you have a piece of cardboard that you do the same, it's going to keep its shape better over time, right? So it's just the thickness of the leather that really is going to matter. And yeah, my straps are pretty thick. Uh, I They're probably, I don't know, yeah, just over an eighth of an inch thick. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they'll last longer in that sense. Um, but if you, and I'll, yeah, I'd be happy to make you one. If you want to keep buying Dunlop straps, I would just say buy enough for every guitar and just leave them on guitars. Cause every time you take it off, you're weakening that, that hole, you know, Yeah. uh, and stretching it out. Um, and you know, even mine will get stretched out over the years if you take it on and off you know, fairly often. So, but it definitely would keep its shape longer. You oh, know, those, definitely. Yeah. Those little $15 straps he's talking about. I'm definitely familiar with those and they really are kind of just cheap. And is it uh, the ones with the nylon in the center yeah. and just the leather ends? Yeah. You know, here's the thing. The more, you know, if it says genuine leather on it, no matter what it is, if it's shoes or a bag or a jacket, it's probably what I call plywood leather. And they take leather shreds and scraps and they glue it together. Hmm. And they're allowed to call that genuine leather. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I assume that's what that is on the end of your Dunlop, Dunlop strap. So is there a term when it's when it's real leather? Well, there's a couple things. Um, if it says full grain, mm-hmm. that means that's real 
leather. But if it doesn't say full grain, that doesn't mean it's not. Yeah. Um, there's another thing that people label their stuff as, and I can't think of it right now. If it's suede, you can pretty much depend that that's, that's real. Hmm. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, the more you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, my, a Melco strap would keep its shape for years and years and years and years. It would take a lot to, to get it bent out of shape. In fact, they're, they're, I would dare say, even hard to get on and off at first. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I try and punch because my holes pretty big because it's stout. They're pretty stiff to get on for sure. Super stout. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it, man. Hey team, Jake here from Sydney. Thanks for the lemon oil question last episode. Oh yeah. I have a question for you and your fellow Americans. Uh. Why do you pronounce solder as solder? <laughs> Sold does so do they say solder in Australia? Yeah, I suppose so. Solder. Uh there's an L right there in the middle. Yeah, guess what? There's also an R at the end. Yeah. How come you guys say solder? <laughs> How do you pronounce the word soldier? Like this, soldier. But soldier and solder are two different things. Yeah. Here in, here stateside. Here in the first world. Here, here, uh, oh my God. <laughs> that, L is, that L is silent in, in the word solder. I mean, it's kind of there. My, my tongue recognizes the fact that there's an L in the middle of that word. But, you know, I mean, it's not like this, the C in the word yacht. Uh, solder, solder, solder. See, now you have me thinking about yeah. it. Now, bah. in his defense, every time I read the word solder out loud, I want to say solder. Yeah. But does he pronounce it as soldier? Well, my friend, Michael Van Dieven, uh-huh. who does a fair amount of soldering, uh-huh. uh, he pronounces it solder. Solder. Well, this is from Jake. I, Jake, send us a message recording yourself saying the word. <laughs> you don't have to do that, Jake. I would like you to do that. We just say just say it solder and okay. don't forget there's an r at the end. Solder. Uh he says that's just something I find very odd. Also, a note that your new listeners such as myself might benefit from. I started listening backwards from your newest to oldest podcasts, but about five or six episodes in, I realized that each new podcast always refers back to the previous podcast yeah. and that I felt left in the dark. So I started from one upwards. <laughs> Sorry. And now the flow feels more natural and progressive. I just hit episode 34, moving to Idaho, and I feel it so much more after hearing the 33 previous episodes. <laughs> Anywho, keep it up. Love the show. At Guitars by Jake. Oh, that's that must be his Instagram. Thank I follow you. him. Thank you, Jake. Yeah. You know, the only uh, the only caution I would give against that is the first episodes are painful. They're they, bad. They're, well, thanks. Sorry. It's just me. Melissa's... I, I don't have a co-host yet, right? Until, I don't know which episode, but probably in the 20s. But um, some of those first episodes are pretty tough to listen to, so... Start at like five. Well, no, here's the deal. Make sure you like the show first. Listen to the last three episodes. And if you go, hey, this show's pretty good, then, then, then go back and start at one if you want. Yeah. But yeah, they are kind of sequential in that way. It's not like there's any kind of spoiler spoiler alerts that, you know. You, right. But uh, 
but they are a bit sequential because we're always referring back to things that you haven't heard if you're listening Backward. back to front. Right. So, yeah, good point, Jake. <clears throat> Hi, folks. I've only gotten through about half of your 70-some podcasts. So, oh, God, ap- we have that many? I guess so. So apologies for any... And you know, I was thinking about it. Sorry to interrupt myself. It's been five years since you started this podcast. To to the, the week, I think. Wow. Five years. Seems like 10. <laughs> uh, I'm looking here at fretfiles.com. You're home for everything Fret Files. Episode 72 is the last one. So ep- so this, this is, is episode 73. Oh, snap. Uh, so he apologizes for any redundancy. A customer brought in a guitar with an allegedly dead single coil pickup, normally wired in a three pickup strat. The resistance was around set was around seven k ohm, and con- and continuity. continuity of the coil wires was good. After a few WTFs, I noticed the pull pieces had very little magnetic pull. I get no consensus online about what might cause demagnetization. Can you mm. help? Yes, that's from Jay Carroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, should I read the P.S.? Uh, sure. Okay. P.S. Eric, in your podcast, Melissa and you conduct yourselves with humor, critical thinking, common sense, oh, oh, intelligence, oh. experience, and respect oh, oh. with a warm demeanor. Aren't we wonderful? <laughs> plus, plus, you constantly remind your listeners that your responses are subjective. Yeah. This is such a pleasant divergence from the flaming forums full of trolls with closed minds and especially from other techs I network with who believe they're always right. I don't expect you guys to read this on your show. Just saying thanks. Oh, uh, whoops. Sorry. Well, thanks, Jay. I appreciate that, man. We don't screen questions, by the way. <laughs> I don't think we've read these yet. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. And I appreciate the uh, the kind words. There. Yes. Yeah. But Thank definitely, you. you know, my, my opinion's subjective on a lot of these things. Uh, yeah. So your pickup there, uh, here's a few thoughts. Some of those pickups... Um, he says it's a strat, right? Uh, yes. A three pickup strat. So some strats have Alnico pole pieces and some have steel pole pieces with a magnet that's supposed to be on the bottom. So mm. I don't know which kind you've got there because he did not say. He knows probably already and he's shouting at his podcasting device. But uh, if it's the uh, if it's the kind with steel pole pieces, then you've lost your base magnet. Uh, mm. you can look at the other pickups and find out, but I've seen that plenty of times and that's way more likely than Alnico losing its charge. If those pickups are Alnico, then one of two things happened. Either the pickup never got charged at the factory and that's really possible. It It is possible that a pickup could not get charged. It's just people making them and maybe one got through production without going through the charging device, right? Right. So it either never got charged or it got degaussed. And there's a few ways for that to happen. One, you know, a a, a magnet like that, like Alnico, if it gets hit with a hammer, that can degauss it. If it gets into close proximity with a really strong magnet, that can degauss it. And I have heard apocryphal stories Uh of people going through uh, like TSA security where they've got all the crazy equipment looking at the guts of Mm -hmm. your suitcases uh, and looking at you without clothes on, you know, how dare they? 
I have heard apocryphal stories of Eric Johnson getting one of his prized strats pickups degaussed through some of that equipment. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's possible or not. That seems... I don't know. Like that is not true. I That's what I think. But um, So, regardless, if it is Alnico and it doesn't have a strong magnetic charge, then something's not right and that needs to be charged. So, uh, you need to ch- recharge that the, the Alnico. And if you don't have the equipment to do that, Jay, you, you're welcome to send it to me. And I would do that for you for free because it would literally take me about 10 seconds. I'd, I'd charge you for return shipping. But if you want to ship it to me, send me an email. If you want to ship it to me, I'll charge it. I'll send you a bill for whatever the nominal shipping charge is going to be. But I wouldn't even charge you to do that because it's really about a five second repair. So Yeah. Yeah. And tell your customer to stop hitting his pickups with a hammer. Well, and that's the thing. I know that that didn't happen because there's six individual Alnico pole pieces. So you'd have to hit each individual one? Yeah, it's just, it's really unlikely that this got degaussed. Uh, the only only way that that really maybe happened is with a really strong magnet got too close to that pickup. But hmm. then why weren't the other ones affected? Right. Cool. Well, thanks, Jay. I hope that helped. Yeah, but I, honestly, I think it's more likely that you've got pickups with steel pole pieces and the magnet on the bottom is missing but jay i can tell from his questions here he knows he knows which one it is Hmm. uh hi eric and melissa this is nick from fair oaks california howdy nick i discovered your podcast through the fretwire podcast i've never heard of that one yeah what's the fretwire podcast i don't know honestly i don't listen to guitar podcasts (laughs) (laughs) Well, they mentioned us. We're mentioning them, the Fred Wire podcast, and have almost listened to every episode while working on guitars in my garage. I am the unofficial tech for my band, Dorothy Lane, and I have a question about an acoustic bass. Our bass player has a Dean acoustic bass, and there are a ton of re- there is a ton of relief in the neck. I tighten the neck until it is straight, and the second I tune the strings, it bows again. I'm wondering if letting the neck sit for a while without string tension would work or if we should just accept it. Is there anything I can do to get the neck straight? Thanks for your podcast. I absolutely love it and I appreciate all the time and effort you and Melissa put into it. Side note, I am a police officer in Northern California and there's nothing better than driving a Code 3, that's with lights and sirens, with the fret files blasting through my car speakers. Nice. Love the show, Nick. Nice. I feel weird about that. Book them. I feel weird that that's that's Why? what the 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 people getting arrested hear. Oh, that's not what they hear. Sure, they're it. listening to rap. <laughs> it's the policeman <laughs> listening to us. This is what you want. This is what you want. You want you want you want the criminal to be listening to the fret files. No, I, well, I mean, that's the they're last thing separate... he hears before he gets tossed in the back of the and while he's in the car. They're in separate cars. You right. understand that? Yeah, oh, right? I no, I get that. But see, see, what if he's walking on the sidewalk? You know what would doing be funny something illegal? is if Nick is pulling someone over, pauses the show, walks up to the car, and the 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 guy in the car is also listening to the fret files. I, That'd be funny. Hey, fist bump. Hey, you like the fret files too? Right on. Go about your business, sir. Have a good day. I think that that would be highly unlikely. Oh, I'm not saying Nick would do that. 
I know him better than that. <laughs> <laughs> what about his bass? Tell me about his bass, Nick. Oh, right. Uh, you know, here's a few thoughts. So the truss rod is not working adequately, he says. Uh, here's what I would try. So does he tighten it up as tight as it'll go? I tighten the neck until it's straight. And the second I tune the strings, it bows again. Yeah. You want to tighten it until it has a back bow. Mm. And then the strings will pull it straight. Now, if, if that's not working, um, one thing you can do is with the strings off, loosen the truss rod, clamp the neck to where you want it to be. So you'll put a shim by the nut and you'll put a shim at the other end and then a clamp in the middle of the neck so you're really putting a back bow in it and then tighten up the truss rod to that. Then take the clamp and the whatever you're using to clamp it off and then string it up and see if that helped. If you've just got a case of a really rubbery neck that nothing you can do uh, is going to help, um, you can try heat pressing the neck. That's something that I do in my shop. Probably not something that I would recommend to uh, an amateur because you really have to get the neck pretty hot and you can cook the finish, you can cook the inlays, you can cook the binding. So I'd leave that to a pro, but it all is not lost. If you can't get it to behave, the neck can be pressed and straightened out that way. That's something that I do quite often in my shop. You know, a lot of these old guitars don't even have adjustable truss rods. So the only way that I can adjust them when they're badly warped is by heat pressing them. So, and I think I did a I did an entire interview about that several podcasts ago. Uh, I think that was several years Scott, ago. Uh, maybe a year ago, an ep- <clears throat> the episode with Scott Freelich. So, uh, uh, you could find if you haven't listened to that one, uh, check that one out. And I talk Scott and I talk way more about pressing necks in that episode, and that's really fascinating stuff. One of my favorite episodes we've done, actually. That and the Henry Cooper episode. I liked the Henry Cooper episode. Yeah. Anyhow, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for those of you who are participating. If you have a question for the show, please submit it. You can do so by going to ericdaw.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757 757- 774-8482 or you can text that number 757-774-8482 thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you soon good night